Thanks so much for joining me again with Nautical Knowledge and Nonsense. In this interview, I interview an old shipmate of mine uh, who's also a miner and an Antarctic driller, Ethan Welsham. This interview shows the positive effects old shipmates can unknowingly have on each other's lives. In this interview, Ethan learns that he was directly responsible for the place and manner in which I proposed to my now wife. And I learned that his time on tall ships with me directly influenced his decision and ability to work and live in Antarctica. This interview is loaded with detailed talk and descriptions of boat handling for docking, funny cruise stories, as well as my favorite puke story. My worst accident as a captain, which luckily wasn't that bad and turned out to be the best thing ever in the long run. Storms and rogue waves, Japanese tsunami wreckage off the U.S. West Coast, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy this episode with my old shipmate, Ethan Welshin. No tall ships. Let's start there. When I was about probably 20 years old, uh, I applied for the two weeks before the mass program and then uh, got in and did that and stayed for about a year. All right. Well, awesome. We got to tell people what, what two weeks before the mast is because they, they probably have no clue. So basically two weeks before the mast was uh, a volunteer program on Lady Washington and Hawaiian Chieftain, uh, both boats owned by Grace Harbor. Where we come on board, and that's how I started. That's how a lot of people started. Where you just you, you volunteer for a couple of weeks, and then, uh, and then, yeah, and then if the crew likes you, you, you tend to stay. Is how I, f- I found it worked out most of the time. So I happened to get a job, and I think that's how it worked out with you, right? Yeah, that is how it worked out. I stay. So I came for two weeks, and then uh, typically they would ask people to leave after the two weeks and then come back. But my life happened to be in a good position to just stay. So I stayed on and then was uh, an engineer's mate for quite a while and then eventually took an actual contract as an engineer um, and then was employed by Grace Harbor and worked on the boats for as an engineer for a decent amount of time. Cool. And now what, what are you doing now? I'm an underground miner now. Okay. And you were in Antarctica? Right. So prior to be, so between working on tall ships and mining, um, I spent about, uh, well, two years, but a year total time in Antarctica, uh, both doing expeditions and work at uh, McMurdo Station. Okay, so it was it was uh, our winter, their summer that you were Correct. doing? Yeah, so it was basically it was October through February, um, or the first season was October through April, uh, and that was so that would be the astral summer. Uh, and our the northern hemisphere is winter. All right, you got any good stories to tell? Oh yeah, where do I start? <laughs> so the first season that I was there, um, I got picked to be part of uh, an expedition called the Salsa Expedition. That's subglacial Antarctic Lake. Wait, subglacial Antarctic Lake scientific access. So you were Salsa. not part of a dance troupe or negative. Okay, I'll that... funny story on the dance troupe. <laughs> we'll get back to the dance troupe. Um, <laughs> So the first season, um, basically what we did was uh, drive farm tractors from McMurdo Station to an unexplored area of West Antarctica, uh, an area called Subglacial Lake Mercer, which is a, a liquid body of water between the earth, between the, the top of the ice and the Earth's surface. So it's basically about a mile below um, frozen ice and between the ice and the earth surface. And so we drilled into that using hot water uh, and clean access 
and then flew in a whole bunch of scientists and performed a bunch of studies on the lake itself uh, and the water and the sediment and everything within it. Um, and then after that season, the next season I came back and did a whole bunch of uh, drilling and blasting for support of the station at McMurdo Station. Okay, McMurdo, which is the one that's on the like exact South Pole. Uh, that's the that's the Emerson Scott base, right? That's the South Pole Station. Oh, okay. Um, so Ross Island, so McMurdo Station is on Ross Island. Um, so it's kind of the main U.S. station. Is that the um, one that's off New Zealand? Or yes. Okay. So is the the South Pole also the South Pole Station is also accessed through Ross Island, um, but that is so we went to we went to New Zealand first. Um, and spent a decent amount of time there and then flew to McMurdo Station, which is basically the seafaring, the seafaring port for uh, the U.S. operations in Antarctica um, as far as supply goes. And so that's where all of our supply vessels would come from and uh, like all the fuel would come in through there and then we'd take it to the South Pole from there. Wow, amazing. <laughs> very neat, very, very neat. Yeah, I was lucky enough um, in New Zealand, we, uh, gosh, I was doing a, it had to have been a contra dance of some sort, I can't remember, but I ended up staying with one of the fellows, and he had wintered in Antarctica in 1980. Yeah. So, like, nine months, no outside human contact. Yeah. Uh, and it, he said it was him, 16 guys, I think it was 16 guys total, and one woman, and he ended up marrying the woman. <laughs> so, that's awesome. I didn't know that you've been to New Zealand. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I was lucky. I got to go there. Uh, it was it was my treat to myself after doing a teaching credential, which which was actually my original plan before Tall Ships was to get mm-hmm. a teaching credential. Right. And uh, kind of in hindsight, kind of thankfully, that fell through. <laughs> Yeah, it's worked out. But, but I did eventually get a teaching credential, and to to go through all that, uh, it's kind of a long story. But to to go through all that, um, it was difficult. It was difficult for me, not the academics, but the there was uh, I wasn't the type. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to get into it too much. Basically, I treated myself to a, a treat, and that was to go to New Zealand. Yeah, New Zealand was awesome. Were you on the South or the North Island? Uh, both. Both, yeah. but uh, obviously love the South Island, love the, the you know hiking around there. But yeah, I did get to go to both both islands. It was fun. That's awesome. So we were based out of um, out of as far as New Zealand goes, we were based out of Christchurch. So we fly from the U.S. to Christchurch, and then uh, both times I was there, we got held up by weather, and so we ended up spending uh, probably close to a month each round in uh, Christchurch and the surrounding areas, and then. From there, we'd fly basically military aircraft, either LC-130s or uh, C-17s, to Antarctica itself. Wow. And so that was that was sort of the port of entry between uh, mainland and the Antarctic continent. Jeez, yeah, it's cool. All right, well, back to, back to tall ships. So, so we were kind of talking earlier about the the timeline. Um, so you got on Chieftain. That mm-hmm. was your first boat, right? Yeah. You were there, and then. You you were an engineer right away. Did you, did you get a lady as engineer? I forget what happened. Yeah, I think that's right. So I think I came to Chieftain for my two weeks and then stayed on Chieftain for, I'm not sure how long at first, but it was probably a month or maybe a month and a half. Okay. Um, and then that's when I started taking more of an interest in the engine room. And for whatever reason, it just worked out that I was spending more time in the ladies' engine room then Chieftain's engine room. And so then I was sort of like unofficially 
the engineer's mate on Lady Washington, and then it made sense for me to go to Lady Washington and actually be the engineer's mate. And then so I think I was I was working under Sophia, and so she was engineer then, and then I was her mate. Uh, and so she and I worked together for a long time as uh, chief engineer and mate on Lady. And then eventually she left. I, th- I can't remember if she left or she just changed contracts. No, I think, um, I think the contract was up. Yeah. I think the contract was Pretty up. Sure. But uh, for whatever reason, she didn't take the contract again. And then so I ended up, I think that's when I took the engineer contract and then was engineer on Lady. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, Sophie was great. She was, she was fun. Yeah, she's a great lady. <laughs> awesome. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think we just were in more need, honestly. And you wanted to do the engineering. I, f- I feel like Chieftain already had an engineer. And, and, and I know they had Eamon as captain. Yeah. Eamon already is like a great engineer. So it's kind of like, I think we just needed you more. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. And they had, they had uh, what was his name? Jass? Jass Malibu? Jass. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Jass was engineer then. He was a good engineer. Yeah. And so they didn't really need me. And Sophia was like newer as engineer yep. and had a better handle on, on the electrical side of things, the mechanical side of things. And my prior experience was much more with the mechanical and plumbing side of not boats, but other things in construction and mining. And so it, we made a, a really great team where I understood much more of the mechanical uh, and water handling systems. And she understood the electrical systems much more. And we covered each other's blind spots really well, and and we just had we just worked together really well. Well, that's good. That's real good. Yeah, we. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but there was one time where you were you were blaring all day, literally all day. You were blaring epic music, like just like <laughs> like like Conan the Barbarian kind of epic music all day long, and blaring out of that engine room. And uh, Sophie obviously wasn't there either. Either you were a full time engineer at that point, or or just she had a day off or whatever. But uh-huh. I remember you came up to me at one point. You're like, Johan, I, I don't understand why, but I have this urge to conquer something. I just, I don't understand. Yeah. I was like, Ethan, you've been playing epic music all day. Yeah. Like, of course you have the urge to conquer something. Oh, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, but man, so you hopped on, do you remember what port you hopped on? Ventura, California. Ventura, yeah. all right. So we headed north from there. So yep. Spots Revenge. That so was Spots Revenge is in Newport, Newport. Oregon. Yep. Yeah. So and tell so us about was, Spot's Revenge. Okay, well, Spot's Revenge was, Tell us about Spot. What inspired Well, let's, let's start with introducing Spot's Revenge, and then I'll tell you the name. Okay, well, actually, so, let's, let's back up. Let's back okay, up. Let, okay. let's, so Lady Washington and Hawaiian Chieftain head, would head to Newport every year. Newport's an awesome port. Great port. Um, West Coast of Oregon. Uh, I mean, the whole transit north, you're, it's usually population us. Like, literally, you, you, look, yeah. you, know, you don't see many lights on land. Where you, you know, sometimes we're far enough out, you don't even see land. Um, it's kind of crazy, like how you have millions of people and then just out of the ocean, it's just us. Yeah. So pretty, some wild transits headed north. They can get pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. Though um, I don't remember if ours was or not, but when we got to Newport though, Newport's great. It's this fishing town. It's got a lot of maritime uh, history, but just kind of like a seaside sort of feel. And, but then tons of woods and the river yeah. uh, runs up there and it's just a great, great place. Well, and it's, and, a, it's a working port. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it is currently port. it's a oh, yeah. working port. It wasn't just touristy; it was a no. properly working port town. No, the fishermen were giving us space. It was right. very nice and generous of the port and and them to allow us to run our program out of there. Right. Yeah. So so that's Newport, and but Newport's also famous for its sea lions. Right. So and are arguably the most obnoxious megafauna in all the <laughs> all planet, <laughs> without a doubt. 
So Spots Revenge was a, a paint barge, which for those of you who don't know, is basically like a piece of floating dock that isn't actually tethered to the rest of the dock. And so you can kind of pull it around your vessel and use it for uh, external hull maintenance. And one of the, the megafauna that lived in, in Newport was this one sea lion that was like all brown with a huge white spot on his back. And so we called him Spot. And we saw him like every time that we, I think it was every time we went in and out, we just see him all the time. But he was, he was a known member of that society. Did he have a huge tumor on his head? I can't remember. There was I like some remember. sort of a lump or something. No, he definitely had a wound. He was wounded okay. somehow. I can't remember whether it was a tumor or a lump or some sort of lesion. But a huge animal. I mean, this is a yeah, big he was, sea lion. Yeah, he was definitely like the, the alpha male of the sea lion population. He was wow. huge. And so we were maintaining, we, I think we were like painting... I think we were just painting the outside of Lady Washington's hull. Um, and I think that I was probably as engineer, I was heading up uh, the external maintenance, which I guess actually would normally fall under the bosun's category, but for whatever reason, I was taking care of that. And so uh, myself and several of the crewmates uh, named our paint barge the Spots Revenge. And then it became sort of like this living thing on the ship. And uh, like at one point we found um, a dead crab on the on the dock someplace and like we put him on spots revenge and refer to the dead crab as like our crabby mate and like we always made jokes about things smelling fishy around that port and like all these things and like so spots revenge became like it's a huge like its own its own entity and then at one point well captain johan was we were doing some like radio training and so he took <laughs> a handheld radio from the paint barge spots revenge to the main vessel lady washington uh, and we're practicing like radio communications around the ship and around with Spots Revenge. And then... It was a good training thing. I, yeah. do, I do recall at some point I said, you're not allowed to mention bodily fluids over the, <laughs> over the radio. Like there, there were a couple other things where I'm like, don't say that. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's a good training exercise. I don't remember what I said on the radio, but I'm sure it was uh, not really cool. <laughs> I'm well, sure I, it was something else. What I do remember, though, I remember you guys coming in, bringing the paint barge around uh, around the dock to the other side, and, like, you just ran it like us docking the boat, where it's like, okay, ready this line, ready yeah, that. That's you had, right. like, the whole crew. We had, like, a crew. We had, like, a hierarchy from, like, captain to deckhands. We had, like, a hierarchy, which included, like, some of the parts of the, I'll say this in air quotations, the ship. <laughs> of Spots Revenge where like some of the like actual components of the vessels were people. Um, so for instance, I think we had a trainee on the time named Russell who was particularly tall and wore a large jacket. And so Russell would stand in the very middle of it and open his jacket. And so Russell was both a deckhand uh, and also the mast yards and sail. And so he was, he was, he was dual a member of the boat, but he was also a component of the boat. Uh, so our, our crewmen and our, uh, Everyone served dual purposes, both physical objects within the vessel uh, and and crew of themselves. Well, then tell us about the, the muster that you guys had. Oh. Do you remember so, that? You, so I every, every... remember that. So what I will say is that we had, it was on the ship, a common practice is to have a muster. So we'd have a morning and an evening muster, which was basically like a meeting where we'd all get together and talk about the day, talk about either like the plan or sort of debrief what happened and then hear from department heads. And so we, we did do that 
on the spots of revenge, but I think you must have a story about it, Johan. Well, all I remember, so with the, with the way musters work, it's a great way to kind of start and end the day, where it's like you just, you know, in the beginning of the morning, you go over what this is what we're going to do. In the evening, you kind of cover what occurred, what went well, what didn't, and then kind of what the plan is tomorrow. So everybody's just always on the same page. It's a great, you know, Every every captain does it a little differently. I'm probably a little more playful than most. I mean, I yeah. you know, but I like I like it's for me. It's serious, but it's also a time to kind of vent and relax, and so it's it's a balancing act. Yeah. But uh, that's why. But <laughs> prior to must our muster, you know, uh, I think you came up and and you're just like, all right, sponsor revenge muster, and then you guys all had different roles, and so there's like the you had the Edco, and it's like, well, you know, there's right. Stuco or whatever, and where the steward. You know, they invite all the pastors on and they keep track of that. It's like, well, we didn't do so well with our tours today, but we'll do better tomorrow. And it was, you know, the rigging was like, oh, the rigging's got problems. It's kind of flimsy. It just, it was hilarious. Yeah, that's right. I do remember having like our own crew and like our own muster. And like, it was like, it was its own little self-contained thing within the crew of Lady Washington. Yeah, that was a, that was a great time. Yeah, that was funny as heck. I love that. Now, uh, let's fast forward. So still on Lady... Um, Coos Bay, I guess that would have been our next port. Yeah, Coos Bay, Oregon, Coos Bay. Right? So this is where Ethan got the nickname Silver Tongue, and yeah. there is a story there. So, so <laughs> I don't. So I always encourage the crew, like on your day off, go go chat with people, like chat up the boats, you know, like like take a break from the crew, take a break from the ship. But at the same time, you know, if you see an opportunity to do something for the ship or improve, you know, help the program, improve the program, whatever, get new recruits, whatever, do it, make it happen. And, uh, and Ethan, what, I mean, you got, a, before we get to the, the shipyard, what else did you get us? Like, you just kept getting stuff. Yeah, remember. there was, there was a time, like, there was some really random stuff. Like, when I was in the engine room, one time I needed, like, a very specific bolt. And I remember, like, I literally, like, walked up the gangway, and there was, like, some sort of guy in a truck. <laughs> and I just asked him if he had this bolt, and he produced the exact <laughs> bolt that I needed. <laughs> And gave it to me. And then I went back down and fixed the component I was working on. Um, but there was some other... I think... I remember there being, uh, like, a copious amounts of, like, raspberries from a farmer's market. And maybe some bread, maybe? Oh, my gosh. That was, like, some of the yeah. smaller stuff. But, yeah. Well, the one... So, the big project was the, the fiddle system. Yeah, the fiddle system. So you, you got us... So, basically, the lady... So... In a in a galley on a ship, in a kitchen on a ship, you know, it, obviously out at sea, everything moves like it's in a freaking earthquake, and and so around the stove, it's it can be very very dangerous. You get boiling pots of water, you get frying pans, whatever. That stuff can literally go flying, uh, and it can severely burn or or even even really hurt people. Put it that way. And so what you usually do is you set up like it's called a fiddle system where you have like bars set up to kind of hold things in place, hold pots in place so they won't shift. Um, if the boat's going more than 90 degrees, you got bigger problems than, than the yeah. galley. So, so usually it's, it's just fine. So the fiddle system, on lady's boat, on lady was just broken. Like it wasn't working. And, and I remember, I think they were using just like a piece of same twine. Yeah. Which is just like a poly, like it's like an oil It's like based. a waxed polyester or some sort of plastic line yeah like they can melt it's like not appropriate at all for, for yeah, that and not strong fire, enough yeah. yeah it's really bad and, and so i was just like this is a, a safety hazard this is a problem but we didn't have enough money in the budget to get a, a fiddle system made so 
So Ethan Silvertongue goes out and he's like, hey, I found a shipyard. <laughs> They're willing to let me use their equipment and do all the work there. And they gave me hundreds of dollars worth of steel and all this. You know, yeah. That was my first question. It's like, whoa, 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 we can't afford to do it. It's like, no, no, I, I got, you know, I, I get all this free steel and stuff. And then it's like, all right, well, come up with a plan, you know, because uh, I still, I was kind of, I wasn't 100% sure. But then he ma made drawings and diagrams and I'm like, sweet. All right, go ahead. Let's do it. Let's, uh, and, and you did. Uh, to my knowledge, that system's still on the boat. I could be wrong, but last yeah, time last I was... Yeah, last I heard it's still on there. Yeah, last time I was a lady, it was, that was it. So Yeah, so awesome. I, was, I, I went on shore and like, I think we had addressed that we needed a fiddle system perhaps at the previous port. And I had been drawing and like coming up with some designs and ideas for what I thought would work for our application, especially because we didn't have like one, we didn't have like all of the pots and pans weren't the same size, so it had to be variable and would work with a 13-inch uh, like frying pan, or it could be a 10-inch sauce pot, mm. yeah, or whatever. So it had to be very variable, um, and I had some ideas on how to do that. And then, yeah, we got to Coos Bay. Uh, I was like walking along the seafront and came across this like shipyard that was it was owned by a, a tugboat company, and they also had a machine shop, and like the garage door was open on the machine shop. And I just walked in and talked to probably, probably whoever was the first person I saw and explained who I was and who I was like, that I was from Lady Washington. I was the engineer, uh, and that this was our need and wondered if I could work out some sort of deal. And they were like, well, yeah, you know, why don't you come back, weld up whatever you need. Uh, and they, I came back and they, they ended up, I, you know, I expected to maybe use some DSU money, which for those of you who don't know, we had this. All of our tips and uh, things like that we'd get from the sales work, we, went, we put into DSU, which is the Destitute Sailors Union, <laughs> which is like a fund that we'd use for like the crew going out for dinner or whatever. And I thought that's how we were going to fund this potentially. And so I ended up working there for about like three days using their equipment, their welders, uh, their steel cutters, their drills, all this equipment in this like full-on machine shop and fabricated this whole fiddle system and then beat blasted it and then painted it and installed it. Um, and funny story, at the end of it, the guy was like, well, if you ever want a mediocre job, come <laughs> back and I'll hire you. And I was like, I'll keep that in mind. And so we ended up, uh, we ended up building this whole fiddle system and, and they supplied the steel and the equipment and some of the expertise for stuff that I didn't know how to do. Uh, I ended up working there for like three days. Uh, and then at the end, they were like, I was like, well, you know, surely I owe you guys something. And he was like, well, why don't you just drop off a six pack tomorrow? <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, what beer do you like? And he told me, and the next day I dropped off a six pack of beer and that was, that was all it cost for, wow. you know, quite a bit of, uh, there, I think it was stainless steel, um, and wow. welding equipment and expertise and time in their shop, which was so probably worth a, hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. Yeah. I mean, easily. I mean, if we had a machine shop, just do that work, it had easily been over a grand. Wow, amazing! Yeah, such a generous place. Do you remember the name of the shop by chance? It was uh, Knutson Tugboat Company's shop. Was that it? Okay, yeah, I I, I should know this because uh, and actually, Ethan, so you are indirectly responsible for m me marrying uh, my wife. Really? <laughs> yes. Well, well, I remember when you guys met, or at least for the proposal. Okay. Yeah, because uh, that's where I proposed her. Oh, really? <laughs> So what happened was we, we were, um, so actually it's, it's a, a I'm going to tell a long story, but basically I had, I had come into the dock and 
Oh man, how long we make this story? Let's back up. So, okay. so I had uh, in Eureka, we were coming into dock, and when you're coming into dock as a captain, you know, you want to be reading the wind, obviously, but you also need to know what the current's doing. And you right. know, when when you and the easiest way to dock a boat is to dock against the current. It's kind of like walking against a moving sidewalk. Where if you ever done that, where you you walk against the way the sidewalk's going, the moving sidewalk, but look sideways and you're actually not moving at all because you're going with it. Right. You, you can do that with a boat. Right. And so effectively, you can stop your forward movement and then just go sideways on that moving sidewalk. That's the easiest way. Uh, well, I came into Eureka one time to dock, and I and I normally never misjudge the current. You know, just because you do your homework, you look up what it's supposed to be. Well, it was supposed to have been ebbing. You know, so heading out to the ocean. And I mean, I looked, I looked, I look. I'm looking around like I'm not seeing movement in the water. So I'm like, hmm. Well, I guess the water's not moving. That's strange. And, uh, you know, and then, so I did, you know, so I just stopped the boat. I physically stopped the boat in the water, uh, relative to land and then waited and the boat wasn't moving. So I'm like, okay, clearly tide tables must be wrong. Like, or something's happened where it's right. like, I, I missed it by a few minutes, whatever it happened. So, so I just went in anticipating that I had a, uh, uh this, um, Gosh, it must no. It must have been a flood. It must have been the flood. That's right, because I made a right hand turn. So I anticipated that there was no current, and then once we got close to the dock, um, there clearly was a flood current that I somehow had missed. I have no idea how to this day, and I start walking right towards Chieftain, like very much much quicker, which wouldn't have been a problem except had I stopped Lady at that point. I, I would have been carried backwards into the mud banks, right. and I don't know how far I can go back before I hit those mud banks. Um, so I was a new captain in hindsight, you should always scout out the mud banks and find out exactly where they are in hindsight. Also in hindsight, you should call the person on the dock. If you're not at all hundred percent sure and something isn't matching up with what you think it's supposed to be, I could have called the person at the dock and said, what's the water doing at your feet? He would have told me I would have made the easiest docking in the world. Instead, I went in expecting no current and the, the current just r like started ramming me towards chieftain and shore. And so I had two choices to make and it was either I gun it. And, and make the dock, you know, mm -hmm. and get and avoid Chieftain, or I stop the boat, but the unknown is the mud behind me. And I just, a split-second decision, I'm like, ah, you know what? I got this. I got this. And so I just gunned it. And nobody had seen me dock the boat that quickly before on the crew. And so I brrr, raced it, and then brrr, in reverse, and wham, Tokyo drifted right onto the dock. And, <laughs> right. and the other captain of the boat was there, and he's like, oh, he's a funny guy. Oh, my gosh, really funny guy. He's like... Just without missing a beat, he does the Captain Ron, all the margarita! <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so, anyway, I started getting cocky because everybody was like, that was the greatest docking ever, rah, rah, yeah. rah. In hindsight, the best dockings are the ones you never talk about because sure. nothing happens. You just dock the boat and nothing gets hurt. And those are the best dockings ever. In this case, uh, but I started letting it get to my head. Like, oh, man, I am awesome. Rah, rah, rah. Well, thank God. The next port, or, or, or very close to the next port, was uh, Coos Bay. Not our time together, but right. this would have been a future year the next time. And uh, yeah, and so I was coming to Coos Bay, and I had a slight current, a flood current at my stern coming in. It was like maybe a knot, knot and a half. Not much, but enough to be like, you, you got to... And, and I was going in making... Um, the lady wants to walk to port when you reverse her. Um, that's where when you put the propeller in reverse, it, it tends to kind of carry the boat one direction or the other, just because the propeller is designed to push water back, not designed to push water forward. So right. you tend to, 
in addition, when you put it in reverse, in addition to going backwards, you tend to kind of go sideways one way or the other if you only have a single propeller. So not only was I going against the, the current, which is bad news anyway, um, I also was going against where the boat was going to walk once I slowed down. So I, I would have to nail it perfectly. And I did not. I, I Well, I did. Actually, I was coming in perfectly. And then the captain of the other boat, we had a miscommunication or something happened. I don't want to speculate too much. But he he was still adjusting his dock lines and he pushed ahead. And that water put a wedge right between me and the dock and mm. pushed me out and, and kind of cocked me in towards the dock. So I had to bail, went back. The second time I wasn't perfect. And I ended up catching the boomkin. When the boomkin on Lady, they look like giant walrus tusks that yeah. stick out the front of the boat. They give, very awkward. Yeah, they give the and they're very awkward. You look at them the wrong way, they're going to fall off. But but in this case, and they're designed to fall off if they get hit. But the wood was so old, it actually snapped. So I snapped the boomkin. It was a great lesson for every. For me, it was a great lesson because it's like, whoa, buddy, you're not as good as you think. And what's why are you letting your ego get control? Which is like the worst thing a captain can do. Sure. So I learned my lesson very quickly there. The crew, they learned not to have panic voices because they started, I could feel the crew kind of getting agitated. They were getting nervous and stuff. And so finally, I actually, I actually got off the helm and the throttle and walked to the, you know, to the side of the boat and told everybody, the dock handlers and the people in the dock lines, I said, look, like, we're, we're like the boat, we're a foot and a half from the dock. The boat is in full control. Like, it's not moving anywhere. Not, like, I gave this whole scenario of what was happening. I said, Get on your lines, let's do it. Something, something like that. I forget yeah, exactly what I said. And the crowd actually applauded, <laughs> which is kind of funny. We got the boat on the dock, but in the meantime, we got a broken boomkin. So I'm like, shoot. Well, that was a mistake. <laughs> you know, I shouldn't have done that. And what ended up happening was we went to that shipyard. Yeah. And we're like, ah, Silvertongue, Ethan, he went there. Maybe, maybe they'll be able to help us out. Well, they not only, again, so generous. They offered not only to help us with the boomkin, and our, our bosun was there, but they offered that we could use equipment, because the bosun came back, and I think, or maybe it was a system bosun, I can't remember now, it was Lizard or Josh, but one of them came back and said, hey, they're willing to have us make blocks, and like we make blocks and, and belay pins, and like we were desperate for those things, so I said, right. I, I took half the crew, I'm like, just go. Just you guys go. Yeah, go Start making crap. Go make make blocks, make belay pins, make the boomkin, go. And so for a week... For a week, they were just like using wood and all the spare wood that they had there. They were making stuff for the boat. Like it was so awesome. So they were learning new skills. They were making equipment for the boat that we desperately needed. Um, they made a new boomkin, which looked gorgeous. And we oiled it, made sure it wasn't going to be wow. old yeah. like the old one. And what happened was, so the crew was spending time there. And, and so then they had like a big fest, like a kind of a, a shindig, like where they had yeah. food and, and music. And so it was, you know, everybody was invited. And... I had been looking for, for my kid's book, which, oh, by the way, folks, I have a kid's book. You should buy it. It's just really great. <laughs> it is really great. Can't confirm. <laughs> but, so I was writing my kid's book and um, looking for an illustrator. And so right. there was there was one type of book. It, it was called, uh, You Wouldn't Ever Want to Be Whatever, like a, a pilgrim or a, right. a whaler or, or a, you know, you wouldn't ever want to have lived in medieval times, whatever. There's this whole kid's book series. Um, I love the style of the drawings. And so I was looking through them, and I found you would never want to have been a ninja. And one of the crew members, like, he always wanted to be a ninja. So I'm like, oh, man, I've got to buy this. Like, so I ordered it, but I'm like, crap. I just ordered a gift for one person. I need to order something for all the crew members. So I started just getting, like, what, what other crew members, what would they like? And I was trying to think. And then in the end, I was like, I've got nothing for Megan. 
like, what do I do for, for, for my wife? What, or not my, well, not my wife, but what right, do I do girlfriend. for my girlfriend? It's like, oh man, I should just marry her. Like, <laughs> I'll just give her grandma's ring. And that, so, so that was, that was, so that was the thing. And, and originally I was just going to like do a private proposal, you know, very intimate with, with my now wife. And then and I thought, you know what? I should, uh, I should include the crew. Like, cause you know, that'd be nice. And, and then, and, then and, and, and we were in Coos Bay where, you know, the native tribes there, the, the Chinook tribe are, they're so good to us. And, oh man, we, they're so cool. We, we do these, uh, ceremonies where they, they come and trade on our boat. And, yeah, I remember that. That was a good time. Yeah. Do you remember that? And then yeah. the, the plank dinners with the salmon on the, cooked on a plank. And the, yeah. You and I sat with a chief then. The what? You and I sat with a tribal chief then. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. So. Yeah, but part of that culture is storytelling and sharing the stories. And so what, what started out as I'll just share this with one person became right. I'll share it with the crew. I'll share it with the other ship's crew. And then I thought, you know what? There's going to be like boat enthusiasts and all these people that, that love you know stuff and tribal members at this this shindig that they're throwing for the, the, uh, the boat yard. Like, I'll just marry her in front of everybody. Right. So it ended up being this huge thing. And, uh, yeah. And so that's all because you, you started that. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. I have no idea. I remember when you guys met in, uh, in Crescent city, I remember when Megan joined our ship and that was, that was like the prime time for the crew. That was, wow. That's crazy. It was a good time. Coos Bay was a great day for both of us. Apparently it was an amazing time. Well, and then, geez, I mean, so after that, well, we went to the San Juans well, I mean, we must have been in Aberdeen for a while. I can't remember. Yeah, we went to Aberdeen for quite a while. There, That's the home port. There might have been some place between... I can't remember if there was some place between Aberdeen and Coos Bay. Mm, no, I don't remember, but yeah. Oh, so we ended up so. spending quite a bit of time in, in Aberdeen. And so was that, was that the time that we went to Aberdeen and then made our long passage south? Or was that... We, we hit Aberdeen and then kept going north and we, then came back and made a long passage. Yeah, I would have been coming back okay. and making a long passage, I I think. I mean, it's been a long time. But. Yeah, the way I remember is that we must have gone to Aberdeen uh, and spent a shorter amount of time there. And then we kept working our way north and did the San Juans and Blaine and all of that stuff and then yeah. came back. Yeah, San Juans, that was fun. The, the leadership at... Uh, they they were they were nice enough to give us well well shoot now when did I take over no because we must have gone so because I took over as captain in Anacortes because I'll never I'll never forget yeah. that because Cappy Dave he handed me the keys he's like oh Sonny I wouldn't want to be you right now I was like <laughs> thanks <Yeah. laughs> thanks a lot <laughs> so Ken must have Ken, yeah Ken must have taken off in Crescent City actually now I think of it yeah so Ken left in Crescent City and then we got Cappy Dave yeah so you'd have been me and then. Yeah, so Anacortes is where the switch happened. Yep, and this Anacortes def, I remember that like yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. It must have been a big time. <laughs> oh, it was crazy. I mean, the, the very first time, like, the very first time leaving the dock as captain, I remember making that left-hand turn. And Anacortes, it's a it's a over 90-degree turn going yeah. out. And as I mentioned, Lady Washington, well, she, she walks to port when you're slowing her down. And, and my training had not been what it could have been better put it that way like yeah. let's put it this way when people when i train people to be captain now they learn exactly how that boat moves when you slow down whichever direction you turn and like i mean i, I tell them everything i've ever done wrong so that they don't ever have to make that mistake sure. right and so we were headed out of there and i realized oh man i'm not going to make this turn at this speed like i'm actually gonna i'm going too fast and not turning quickly enough and 
we're, we're going to have, we're going to hit something or I need to slow down. So there's only two options. Uh, option one was not an option. So there was only option two, but I do remember the mate. I remember Jim looking back at me, giving me this, this look of like, yo, you're going too fast. You're not going to make this. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I know. <laughs> yeah, so, so I started slowing down and thank goodness the, the way the prop walk works, it doesn't engage if you're going on lady. Yeah. I got to be going less than two knots. So, so two knots or more, you're going to slow down before you really start walking. So with that turn, luckily I slowed down and then I was like, okay, made it. That moment was the most exhausting moment I've ever been through. Like I, yeah, I at that moment I understood, oh, this is why captains drink. This is why they're all <laughs> crotching and stressed out. It's yeah. like, it's like, this is definitely not for everybody. No, <laughs> like, definitely not. Most people cannot handle that stress. And I mean, and, and we've, we've had bad captains, you know, we've yeah, had great definitely. captains and we've had captains that really probably shouldn't be doing that job. Yeah, I've definitely seen both sides of that coin. Yeah. yeah. So Jim was a great mate. Oh, he was, Jim, a good, he was a good bosun too. Jim was incredible. Well, and what I loved about it was you guys. So as you got into your position, engineering, um, Jim went from bosun to mate. Right. Um, you know, I went from mate to captain. Like, like, but you guys, it just seemed any worries that I had. Like, it's like you you grew. It's like you matched the role. You know, it's like you went from, you know, Jim went from being the bosun who you're supposed to be surly when you're a bosun. Like you're just, right. the boat's always needing fixing. Like, like the people are never doing exactly what you want. Like, like there's, that's kind of a stereotype is the surly bosun. Right. But it's true. And then when Jim became mate, like the best mate you could ask for is somebody who's tough, but also caring. It's like a big brother that knows what's going on that keeps you in line. Yeah. And, and, and he became that. And, yeah. and it was just like, I was so impressed. And, and then we had the officer's mess, which... <laughs> Yeah, the San Juans. Yeah, what do you remember from that? Well, I remember that, like, so first of all, the, the San Juans was just a great time. Um, like, beautiful, and we were we were sailing all over, and for whatever reason, we didn't have passengers. Well, so, uh, so I did that. So, so, oh, thanks. So I convinced, as part of my, like, being a new captain, um, I convinced the office that, hey, I need more time training, and this is a new crew with new officers, and we're doing nothing you know, instead of doing a maintenance day and having tours, can we get two days to go train and, and basically just sail the boat around the San Juans and, um, you know, for training. And so that's, right. that's why we got that time. And so anchoring as oh, well, okay. we, we never anchored the boat. The boat yeah, really, really that was anchored, the first so. time I ever had. Yeah. So like we needed to practice all that. So, so that was the excuse. Um, now do we go and have an amazing time while we're doing it? Of course. But, of course we did. But the yeah. primary purpose was training, but right. In but quotations, then, training. No, we did. Come on. No, we did. I mean, <laughs> there were, there was a lot of legitimate sail training and a lot of legitimate just training. I mean, both like the anchoring and standing anchor watch and the whole shebang was, it was like, yeah, we have two days to go out to the San Juans and learn a bunch of stuff that most of us had never experienced. I mean, I, I don't, I can't speak for everybody. I think most of the crew at that time uh, had never anchored, had never stood out on anchor watch. And just a lot of the stuff we handled out there was was the first time for a lot of the crew, if probably most of the crew. Yeah. You know, we did man overboard drills. I mean, I'd have to have the logbook in front of me. Oh, but, yeah, that's right. I forgot but, uh, about the man overboard drills. That's right. You know what? I remember actually reading. I, I, I did captain overboard, and Jim gave me that look that he'll, <laughs> he'd give where it's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, we needed it. I mean, we, we had five of the eight officers on board, five of the positions where people had never done that job. Yeah. So it was me, it was Jim, it was you, I think Tracy. Who's, yeah, she Tracy was, was uh, Duco. Uh, yeah. No, no, Purser. She was Purser. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she was Purser. 
And I forget who the the fifth was. It was it. No, Wait, it was, it was it Davy? Wait, I don't remember. Oh no, it was Alec. Oh, yeah, Alec was, was Alec Boson. Troxel, yeah. Alec Troxel got it, got up to Boson. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Wow. So it was the five of us, and then I remember Corey. Corey was the cook, and she'd been a long, you know, she'd been a long time cook, and and uh, I loved her. She was great. She she'd bring me cups of tea, <laughs> just yeah. like when, when like here, Captain. I'm like, oh well. Yeah, she was. A good I'll, I'll take this privilege. Thank you. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so so I remember kind of in passing, like as a joke, I said, "Man, we're all we got all these new officers. We should just have like an officers' mess, you know, kind of like totally joking about it." And she just took that idea and ran with it. And I mean, you you had the you kept the uh, yeah invitation. I have, I have the, the, the <laughs> invitation someplace, and it's um yeah. I remember you know I was probably doing some project or doing some training out on deck, and like. The rest of the officers had no, we had no idea about this. I assume you didn't either. No, I was told to just don't go in the main hold. And then, yeah, I remember. Or, and I remember then don't go in the aft cabin. Like they were, yeah, there was like don't go in the main hold, and then and then we could only go in the main hold. Only go in the main hold or the engine room, and then there was, and then at some point throughout the day, like Corey came and gave each of the officers a handwritten card uh, with an invitation to an official officers' mess. In the aft cabin, uh, probably at like nineteen hundred, and and yeah, so we all wore like our best outfits, which was like this hodgepodge of like funny clothing, which is like the costumes we wore, like funny clothing, yeah, like eighteenth like, century sailor clothing, right? Like maybe like eighteenth century pants and whatever button up shirt I happened to pack or whatever. And I think I think most of us probably showed up barefoot, right? So we're like dressed oh, to we're dressed to like is we're like dressed to the nines as much as we can be. We're as finely dressed as we can be but like barefoot. Uh, and we show up in the aft cabin at the designated time, which is the aft cabin is also, that's where the captain and the mate, the engineer and the bosun sleep. It's sort of like basically the primary officer's quarters. Yeah, so what you got pictures, you, you go down a, a, a stairwell, it's called a companionway on ships, and you get to the bottom and there's this tiny little, you know, small, relatively small table yeah. uh, with benches around it. And then up above that to the, and, and outboard of that are two bunks. So that that's the you know, whoever, whoever, whichever officers happen to be there, and then there's two doors forward of that where the the mate and the the captain. That's where their little cabins are. Yeah. But but yeah, so it's this tiny, you know, it's relatively small but cozy place. I mean, lady had just really cozy spaces on yeah, board. Yeah, very cozy. And so they had put down this fake table mat. Yeah. And these fake wine glasses because we don't want to use real glass on a boat, and we had fake wine because we're not drinking while underway, obviously. Right. Yeah, it was grape juice or something. Yeah, and it was so funny. Oh, my gosh. I remember one of the gals, she was dressed as a harlot and had, like, lipstick. And and, and she would, like, before pour, she'd pour you, you know, the, the quote-unquote wine, and then she'd kiss the, the glass lead. That wasn't the a gal, thing. Johan. That was, that was a male crewmate that was in... No. Yeah. No, was, no, no, no. That's yeah, not what no, I remember. I think it was Theo. No, Theo was Ship's boy, yeah. But he was, he was the... Oh, he wasn't in that He, he was the moderator. Oh, that's he's right. The so Theo was the yeah, my bad. So Theo was the moderator. Theo was yeah, ship's boy. So he's rosy cheeked, like plays the harp legitimately. Um, had his Daisy Dukes on and like this shortcut shirt. Well, wait. And... Let's back up real quick. Oh, now. okay. So let's explain <laughs> that. So he came down for the officers' mess. Yes. Right, and then it was explained that there would also be a show throughout the course, and this was like this <laughs> ended up courses, being like multiple courses. Yeah, it was like a five course this is a meal. I mean, big there was meal. like there was like salads, appetizers, flaming yours. It was like yeah, hardcore. there was steak, there was like <laughs> dessert, there was like 
you know, fake wine. There was, it was, it was, a, yeah. I mean, it was an like in-depth wild mushroom thing. soup. I mean, it was like hard. That's right. Yeah. And, and there really was, good food. and throughout the whole thing, there was all these, like, it was the ship's talent show. It was the ship's talent show. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically what it, put it. Yeah. And Theo was the moderator and he's like, I, uh, here I am as, as his ship's boy playing a song that I call <laughs> the officers of the lead Washington, how much I love them. And he strings something on the you know, heart, play some song. And then the second act, if I, he's like, and now for the second act, and we're like, what? There's this is like, what? What's going on? Right. Like, there's acts, and we realize it's like a talent show, and uh, and then I'll never forget the curtain right by my head pulls open. It was it was because as it feels said, and now for the second act, K Max the mime. We're yeah, like, that's right. what? And the curtain pulls open right next to my head, and there's Kylie. Yep. Who, who has not said a word for a month. Literally, this guy is like just this stoic, stoic, quiet you know, guy. And he just pulls the curtain open, dressed as a mime with a rose in his mouth yeah. and a smirk <laughs> on his face and like hands me the rose and starts playing the violin, which who knew? Maybe they don't play the violin. Right. <laughs> and then Jim is literally choking on his soup. He's like <laughs> yeah. to my right. You know, K-Max the mime is behind my head to the right. Jim is to my right just like literally choking on his soup. It was right. the funniest thing yeah, I ever Yeah, he was like saw. stowed away. Like we've been in there. Like oh, at that point, God. we've been in there for probably oh. – an hour at least. I'm not really I sure. I don't know. If it's, at least I'd say 20 minutes. But, yeah, but long know, enough. Like a, a long I mean, enough that like. He probably has been there for an hour. Right. Like the whole time we'd been down there, like <laughs> Kylie or K-Max had been like stowed away <laughs> in this bunk. Silent as a mouse. Like we had no idea he was there. And then, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the curtain pulled back and there he was. And he like played us a tune on a violin. It was so well, and then, random and awesome. And then I remember Megan coming down, and and so she came down with, and she was wearing like a lumberjack hat and a lumberjack That's jacket, right. and had pigtails and a blotted out tooth. And yeah, she's like, she's sharpening oh, her tooth. You betcha! Oh, yep, yeah, dirt, You know, she said like some kind of like like Canadian lumberjacky thing, yeah. and it handed something to somebody, and then went back up. And I'm like, what is going on? And then somebody popped out of the the, the build, like the actual yeah uh, the lazarette, like the yeah. hatch. At our feet, in which front is of like the a table. tiny space. Like it's not. It's not like <laughs> it's not a compartment that's like big enough to stand in. Like they were like squatted inside of it. Yeah, and so and then the hatch opens up, and there comes like the old man of the sea or whatever. Out right. of, I can't remember who did it, or somebody was doing a poem or something. Yeah, and then and then Megan finally she her act came up, and it was the funniest thing I ever heard. Like she she did a song, and it was basically like the title. She's like, well. You know, I always love trees, and I thought there's nothing better in the world than trees. And then I found me a sailor, and I gotta say, I love effing sailors more. I love effing trees, though she didn't use effing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then she sang that song that she made up, and, and that was the point where I'm like, oh man, I better marry this lady. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be an idiot not to. Like. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, it was so cool. Gosh, the officers miss. What a great crew. Yeah, that was just a a dream. That was a dream team. That was such. Like, the right people in the yeah. right time. Yeah, that was great. Were you there? I can't remember if you... You probably weren't there. No, you must have been off. Were you there when we went to Port Ludlow? We, uh, we had to... It sounds familiar, but I may have just heard of it. I can't remember. Okay, because I remember... We were, I just remember the story because of Alec. We were coming in, and Alec was on the, the foredeck, and he's like... Yo, know there's there's a there's a ball in the water. It's like a mooring buoy that looks like a right. ball. So he's like, there's a there's a ball in the water. I said, okay, got got you know, because you'd have people in the front of the ship kind of calling out distances or where where objects were, and then uh, and then there was a second one. He's like, oh, yo, know there's another there's another ball out there, and so. <laughs> 
<laughs> I get on the loud hailer. Lender's only crew on board, obviously, no passengers. So I get on the loud hailer. I said, yes, Alex, I see your balls. <laughs> Everybody just cracked up, and Alec kind of Alec kind of did a, you know, like a, like a pretend of showing your balls. Like, oh, my God, it was funny as hell. Oh, man. But, yeah, uh, Alec, he was a great guy. Yeah, that was well, I, have, I have a little side story about... Uh, Captain Johan and uh, and the PA system of the Lady Washington. Uh-oh. <laughs> so once when we were out on transit, I must have been on an off watch because I was in the forecastle sleeping and we encountered some fog and like, I have no idea how Johan accomplished this because nobody knew how to do this ever again, <laughs> but he somehow broadcast the digital foghorn through the ship's PA system. <laughs> so middle of the night, we're all sleeping and all of a sudden the foghorn, which plays in fog, of course, is on the mast is projecting through the ship's PA system. <laughs> and we were like, we woke up startled, like not sure what was going on and like why the foghorn sounded so loud. And like, as far as I know, nobody could ever figure out how to like broadcast the foghorn through the PA after that. <laughs> That's funny. Wow. Yeah. I don't, I, I, I'm sure I did that. <laughs> I don't remember. I was like, what the heck is going on? Oh, man, sorry about that one. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was, um, Oh, what were we talking about? We were talking about Blaine earlier. Oh, actually, backup. P, it's being a PA system. Did it? Were you there when, when Ken was on board? Um, we were watching Game of Thrones then, right? Yeah, officer it, training. That's officer training. That, that's yeah. what we called it. Where we yeah. all go back in the aft cabin and watch Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is obviously after hours, but I remember I would uh, uh, I'd get on the PA system and just be like, do 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 do, and just make it as obnoxious. as yeah. <laughs> It got progressively yeah. more and more obnoxious. Yeah, and, and then announce he'd, he'd like do the Game of Thrones theme <laughs> by his mouth. Yeah, and then announce you know officer training in five minutes or whatever. That was so funny. Oh, that was gosh. such a great time. It was. It was. It was. Wow. But we yeah. So Blaine, we were talking earlier about Blaine and uh, oh man, that was tough. Yeah. You, you, so you when you when did you hop off, lady? I hopped off, lady. Sometime it was. I can't remember what month it was, but it was after the Southern Passage. It was after we went south, and it was when we were in Jack London Square. So wait a second. So when were you back on Chieftain? Was it, so was it prior to Chieftain? Wait, wait, I'm trying to put it together. When were, when were you on? Because you said you were on Chieftain during Blaine. Is that right? Yeah, no, yes. Yeah. So I think I was on Chieftain during... Uh, yeah, so I must have been on Chieftain during Blaine. Okay. Um, but I switched between the two boats two or three times because I started on That's what I it started was. on Hawaiian Chieftain. I think I started on Hawaiian Chieftain and then went to Lady and then back to Chieftain and then back to Lady and then that's when I left and went to some other boats in Mexico actually. Okay. Okay, that that kind of makes sense. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to remember. That there was a lot of switching. A lot of names, a lot of switching. Yeah. yeah. Well, we did it by necessity. I mean, we we talked about you know, we gave them Davy and, and, and uh, Dave, the two, right. two Davies, basically. Right. Dave, Dave and Davy. Because um, the chieftain needed help on a transit. So we gave him like two of our best people. And then we got <laughs> good old, uh, I don't even know if she's calling my name. Uh, let's make up a name. So, uh, what do you think? Uh, Sailor uh, Smithers. Sailor, or how about, uh, what's, a, what's a classic sailor name? Uh, Sailor Boland. Yeah. Sailor Boland. All right. So Sailor Boland, who will remain nameless. He's probably not in tall ships anymore anyway, but probably not. We'll, uh, not. we'll just make it up. Oh, young master. Will that work? Young Mr. Boland. Sure. That'll work. Sure. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. So basically this guy who we will call Boland 
was the most useless person. And so, yeah, the, the, the captain of Chieftain sends, sends me this useless guy who just got seasick and just did, did nothing. I mean, it's one thing to be seasick. Everybody gets seasick Everybody gets sooner seasick. or later. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's, a, there's a swell out there for somebody, promise. You know, it, it, some people are not prone to it, but there's a swell out there for everybody that can hear, put it that way. And, uh, but this guy, man, he got seasick at a drop of the hat, but then he would quit. He would just quit, which is not good. You're not allowed to just quit. That doesn't no. work. And, and so I remember it was his time for watch and Jim must've been watch leader cause he was out on deck and I was sitting there on deck and just kind of waiting and waiting. It's like, where the, where is, you know, or maybe I was watching there. I can't remember, but I'm like, where's this guy? Like, like, like Boland's supposed to be up here. And it's so I'm like, crap, it's late. He's already like, you're supposed to be early. If you're early on time, if you're on time, you're late. If you're late, you're effing up. And he was yeah. effing up. So I'm like, fine, go find him. So, so I get down, you know, to the front of the boat where the forecastle is and, you know, open the hatch, thinking I'm going to yell at this guy. And then there's Ethan. <laughs> and you're like tearing in and like, get up, what's wrong with you? Get up, get up. <laughs> Tell him to get his jacket on. All of a sudden, you're just yelling at him. And I'm like, oh, well, I don't My job's done. All right. <laughs> and then, and so you yelled at him. Finally, he comes out on deck and he opens up the forecastle hatch and, and just crawls. And just crawls out in this dramatic, like, Little, not even an army crawl. It was more like a dog, like crawling. Like a dog with two broken oh, legs. Oh, yeah, dog, two broken legs, crawl out. And then he crawls across the main deck. And then he crawls up to the half deck. And then crawls up the half deck steps up to the quarter deck. And as he's doing, as he's passing by, Jim says, uh, Young Master Bolin wishes to pass. <laughs> Just like this, like in the most noble voice you can imagine. And yeah. then Young Master Bolin passes by and goes back to the rudder well and just hiked his butt up in the air and started puking down the rudder well and it was the most ignoble thing I've ever seen on yeah. tall ships. God, I remember I remember ripping that guy a new one and normally normally I don't think I do that very much but you know I had I had very little sympathy for this guy because um, when we had set out on that voyage on that passage I had, I had gone around and told him and several other people that they need to take seasick medication uh, and he had told me that he had that he would never get seasick and refuse the medication for for seasickness. And I was like, well, you know, I really think you need to take this, but I can't make you take any medications. Uh, and so he didn't. And then we got out to sea, and he was like, like it was like before we were out of sight of land, he was seasick, and like I think he probably passed up a watch already. And, like, I just had enough. Like, he was on my watch. And, like, yeah, I remember waking up and, like, I woke up early, like, threw on all my foul weather gear. And, like, he wasn't even out of his rack yet. And I was just hopping mad. And I was like, yeah, this is BS. <laughs> and, like, ripped back his curtain and uh, woke him up and ripped into him. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> gave him what for. Well, well done. Just so people know, like... It's okay to throw up on a boat. It happens all the time. That's not a big deal. It's okay to live on a boat and have, like, like, people get seasick. Some people get horrifically seasick, and that's life. What's not okay is just quitting. Like, you yeah. still have to be able to do your job. You still, like, even if you're throwing up in a, 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 like, <coughs> a shirt or a, a plastic bag next to you, like, you still have to function enough to do a job. Um, and, you know, ideally your job.
Especially under, especially when you're in a seaway and you're you're really going, you're not just at dock. Yeah, yeah, and there's times too where don't you know? Don't get me wrong. Like, like some people get more seasick than others. Like if the person's been seasick for 48 hours, that's probably not the person you want climbing to the top of the mast. Like if you need a lot of strength, that's probably not the person you're gonna do. Like have them steer the boat, have them clean something. Like you know that's that a good mate and a good captain will recognize that. Uh, but they're still doing something. That's the point. Like it's not like you're not doing something. Uh, whereas this guy was just useless, like, and 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 you do get people like that where it's like, yeah, I mean, they're they're not welcome back, obviously, at least not right. on my watch. Like being like, I've seen people that are so sick that they can't. They, if they wanted to do their job, they couldn't because they are, you know, uncontrollably vomiting. There's very limited things you can do. I mean, you can't send somebody to the galley if they're gonna puke everywhere. Um, and certainly, like going into the engine room is probably the worst place for seasickness. <laughs> yes, you know, but. But this guy, like, you know, was just refusing to perform his duty. And from, from the very start of it, I mean, he refused to do his duty when we recommended that he take seasick medication so that it would prevent it, which most of, most if not all of the crew and certainly officers, you know, took some sort of medication to combat seasickness. Uh, and his ego got in the way and he refused to. And so from, you know, from the very beginning, he refused to do his duty. Uh, and that was, you know, especially on a small watch, you know, where there's only a couple, you know, maybe three, I can't remember how many were on a watch. It varied, but a small watch, you need every hand available. Um, and it's certainly having somebody who has, you know, basically just decided to quit, but can't leave because we're out to sea. Um, is that's just not a good sailor right there. That's, yeah. you know, I mean, that's, that's not what, it, to be a sailor, you have to be able to be in your worst condition and continue to do your duty, you know, to the ship and to your shipmates, to whatever end. Um, and that was a, a prime example of, you know, somebody who gave up basically because of seasickness, which is common. The, the seasickness is common. I mean, it was, yeah. it wasn't extenuating circumstances. God, we had one guy one time, uh, he, I don't think you were there for this one, Ethan, but we had this guy... He's kind of like a tall, pasty, sort of gothic-looking guy. And, uh, <laughs> what a description! He's kind of goth. Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's just what I remember. But I remember he would—he just curled up in the fetal position and did nothing. But what what really got to us, like, was when he thought nobody else was looking, he would get up and do stuff. <laughs> Like, yeah, like you get a snack or get a glass of water. Yo, and that was and then, the same like, guy. Oh, he'd be sick again. If no, that was that room. was the same guy. No, 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 it was a different guy. I promise. Oh well, I promise. well, Master Boland did the same thing because I remember really? at one point, yeah, we sent him. We ended up like he'd been like going for so long and like puking for so long that he had like he was like not getting enough food, mm-hmm. like he was not keeping down enough fluid or anything like that, and so we sent him below deck to get you know I think the I think the cook like cooked up something for him special. By the way, seasickness will get worse below decks, just in case you didn't know. Yeah, but it was also where the food was available. Mm-hmm. But that's a good point that it gets worse. Cause, so we sent him down there to, like, I think he was drinking, like, ramen broth or something. Like, something just to get some sustenance in there. Uh, and, like, I remember, like, a bunch of us, like, caught him, like, chatting away and, like, looking totally well uh, <laughs> until any of the officers were below deck. And as soon as an officer was below deck... He was seasick and like moaning in pain, and and then as soon as he as soon as we'd leave, it's like yeah, he was just going back to normal. Oh wow! Uh, and like, yeah, that was that was part of my frustration. Part of why I lost him was that it was like yeah, it was 
you know, it was, it was chosen. It was chosen and partially acted out. Uh, yeah. So do you have a favorite seasick story? Now it doesn't have to be yours, your personal one. It could be someone else's, but like, do you have a favorite moment where you saw someone getting seasick or you're seasick yourself? Uh, is it seasickness specifically or puking in general? Oh, that's a good question. Oh man. Depends who's involved. All right. Puking in general. Okay. So for, for the listeners, I turned 21 on the boat. Uh, and we were in Port Townsend and, uh, <laughs> we went out for, it was like, it was during the Port Townsend wooden boat sub festival, if I remember right. And we went out and like, Johan was there. I was there. Davey was there. Sophie was there. A bunch of people were there. And we went to this bar called Sirens, which was like a classic, like Sirens. What a place for a sailor to turn 21. <laughs> And so we just like drank and drank and drank. Uh, and Sophie kissed me on the lips that night. And then like, I was so drunk and like, we were like walking back to the ship. And, uh, for those of you who don't know this, like ships have a light on top of the mast called an anchor light. Um, and like we were walking up to the, up to the dock and there was an anchorage. And I remember like remarking that there was like this like massive, huge, bright anchor light over the anchorage and I was like I was like and I was like stumbling like being carried back and I was like Johan what a I was like what boat has that anchor light and he like took a second and he was like he was like that's the moon (laughs) (laughs) I was like oh god that's the moon but so then then you know of course I was the worst off and so Johan actually gave me the next day off and uh were you captain then? You must have been. I must. It sounds like something I would do. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, but I had the next day off. And so, like, I remember, like, waking up in my rack to the sound of the engines and, like, moving unexpectedly. And I just, I remember, like, I think somebody must have given me, like, a vomit bag or something like that while I was sleeping. But I remember, like, waking up to the ship, like, leaving the dock uh, <laughs> and just, like, feeling so sick. Like... Not only was I like in a moving, like in a ship in a, in a small compartment moving (laughs) underway, but there's all these smells and sounds and yeah, I definitely, uh, definitely threw up a lot and then went on deck and threw up some more. Oh no. Um, that's, that's probably my, my best, my best, uh, you know, personal vomiting story. But, uh, yeah, I remember at some point somebody told me that if you tucked in your shirt and you were aloft and had to vomit, you could just pull your shirt open and vomit down your shirt and uh it would be safe because it wouldn't go anywhere because it would be tucked in and you keep it around your belly well that i mean the legend goes that actually happened so that because that was one of the verses on the puking song mm. you remember that one i forgot about the puking song yeah for late and specific for lady washington so i guess they got bored one transit or something i don't remember but they came up with uh, a puking song to the tune of the gambler Okay. With, uh, it was Kenny Rogers. Yeah, who did Kenny Rogers, right? Was it Kenny Rogers? Oh, crap. I don't, I don't know, but I think so. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's to the tune of the greatest country western song of all time, arguably, The Gambler. Uh, and, yeah, and so it's, like, instead of, you know, how's it start? It's like, on a cold, dark night, on a transit bound for nowhere, yeah. met up with a sailor, we were both too sick to speak. And after, I forget, no, 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 take it, you know, son, I made a living. Out of sailing brigs and packets, never met a vessel that made me sick sick before. But if you don't mind me saying, I can see you started yakking. If you'll spell me at the tiller, I'll tell you something more. And then then it starts (laughs) in the verses. 
And one of the verses was, uh, oh shoot, was why well, was up aloft, uh, taking in a topsail when the feeling over her kind of came me, and I began to hurl. Now I had no baggy on me, so I emptied out my gullet straight into my sweatshirt and finished up my furl. <laughs> <laughs> Now, incidentally, I made up a verse for that song. Obviously, this song came years, it came about years before I was on Tall Ships, but I made up a verse because my favorite puke story from me that I did yeah. was I was trying to impress a girl, and uh, I had eaten a lot of lunch. That's not how I was trying to impress the girl. I just They happened to make burritos or something. They were right. really good. I ate way too much. And we were probably out of San Pedro. And so Pedro, you know, you're basically, you go down the channel and then bam, you're out in the ocean. And so there's just the right swell. And I was new to boats and lady has that way of yawning that just makes, and I, and I do admit, Rob admitted as such, you remember, well, the mate at the time, uh, he would, he would purposely like watch me turn green. He loved it. So he would like actually purposely cause the boat to sway <laughs> a little more than it needed to and stuff. He claims he did that. I was like, oh man. <laughs> so, but, um, so I'd eaten all his food and I was trying to press a, a gal and then I was like, oh boy, I'm going to throw up. Yep. I'm not going to hold it. And so I, I didn't say that to her. I said, Hey, why don't you talk to the captain? on the quarter deck and I got to do, you know, talk to these students or something. I made up some excuse and she said, oh, okay. So she headed up there and I just went over the rail and there were these two young boys, you know, like maybe 10 years older and they were off the rail. And I just turned to them and I said, excuse me. <laughs> I just did this amazingly long, ginormous puke. And then one of my shipmates came over and was like, hey, you know, she, you know, she wanted to give me like fisty cuss. Like, hey, you know, good job. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did like two more solid heaves and, and then, you know, wiped my mouth and, you know, doo -doo -doo. I felt good after that, you know, cleaned it up with a bucket and, and the two boys, I guess, after I left, I heard the story afterwards where these two boys, like they, they looked at each other and they said, well, I was like their hero. They're like, oh my gosh, did you see all that puke? <laughs> that was like, that was like a column of food. It was like, like a tube of food, you know, and so oh, that became the, the word of the day. And then the verse I made up was like, uh, well, I went over to the lee rail where two boys were a puking, and I politely excused myself because I don't like to be rude. And after finishing my business, the one turned to the other. With wonder in his voice, he said, that looked like a tube of food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good times. Mm -hmm. Good times. Man. Now... Actually, I did want to ask you about one thing. Well, yeah. I've asked you about many things. I know. I got a story. Okay. So, we're talking about transits. There's an infamous an infamous story where Ethan was helping us for breakfast. Like, the morning before <laughs> yeah. we were going to go to charter. It was like the morning of the transit. And Ethan, he, he offered to cook breakfast. And we were like, oh, that's so nice. You know, the crew, crew members, there was a good crew. They took care of each other. And so, Ethan, <laughs> Ethan was making croissants. Like, these... What was it like? They were like Pillsbury, yeah, Pillsbury, Pillsbury, like pre-made croissants or something. Pre-made croissants, but they're they cut them out. They're like in triangles, right? They're already kind of pre-cut, and you pull them out in triangle form. And even cooking them for whatever the length of time was, he's like, I don't understand. These croissants aren't rising. 
So they're not rising at all. And so we, we open up the oven, and you had not rolled them up. Yeah. So you just had these flat triangles that had been baked and cooked and dried out. Yeah. And we're like, oh, it's so no croissants. And then Jim grabs one. And he like it was like well we're like well we're, we're rolling with this we're yeah we're gonna eat now. them we're gonna eat them so so we're like eating this and Jim you know takes one and dips it in marmalade and he says this and eats it it's like this is the finest instrument or I forget how he vessel did it. he was like this yes. is the perfect vessel <laughs> to deliver marmalade to my mouth <laughs> that was I was oh like I want a Jimism right there oh my god oh he had another one remember when we did the bacon wrapped. But we called him, we called him, we called him, what do we call him? Fingers of the Gods. <laughs> no, no, yeah, but you know, remember the... Your, so your thing, yeah. the vessel, it, it was Transit Toast. Transit Toast, so yeah. Transit Toast was born, and we were It was Transit Toast. We were yeah. Transit Toast by Ethan after that. I was so confused, yeah, the cook came back on board, and she's like, E, how'd it go? Like, how was breakfast? And I was like, oh, I don't know, it was really good, but um, the croissants didn't roll up. <laughs> She's like, what do you mean? Roll, like, the wicked witch of the <laughs> That's what I thought. Like they get hot, like roll them, roll themselves or something. And she's like, she's like, well, what do you mean they didn't roll up? And I was like, yeah, I baked them, and they just came out of these like weird triangles. And I was like, I, I was like, I thought they'd roll up in the oven. And she's, she explained that they wouldn't, but yeah, <laughs> transit toast. That's what it was. That was so funny. Now, did you play? Well, you, did you ever do D and D with us? Did you do yeah, and yeah, we did D and D. That was the whole like officer training. And uh, Game of Thrones time is when we played D and D. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. God, we were so hyped on fantasy at that point. <laughs> yeah, we were. Yeah, we were. Who is it? So Jim played. Obviously, Sophie played. It was you, me, Megan. Sophie, Megan, Jim. I forget who else. Was Colin? Was he on board? I can't remember. Colin was on board. I can't remember if he was playing or not. Maybe not. I don't remember that. I remember we did play with Crazy Ivan one night. I'll never forget that. That might have been after my time. With D and D, I remember Maybe. Ivan, but but I may not have been playing D and D then. Maybe, yeah, that was fun. Gosh, that was fun. Oh, so many good nights. That was fun, yeah. D and D in the aft cabin. <laughs> God, what a what a a whole vibe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, oh, it really is. Yeah, that that's one thing. People that haven't been on boats before. I mean, it, and it's different. Even when you're a passenger, because most of you know they see one cabin, but but it's like it's it's a heck of a thing. You're you're sleeping in the same room with four to eight other people yeah. or more. Yeah. Depending on, you know, the circumstances. And it's like, it, yeah, it does feel when it's the best, of, when, it, when it's good times, it's usually the best of times. Yeah. And, and when drama hits and other th- bad things happen, then it, you get some interesting stories later, but man, it can get rough too. But yeah. We got, uh, we got pretty lucky. Yeah. Our group was great. That was quite the family. Yeah. It was, it was truly a family. I mean, it was, it was just, we, we bonded so tight and it was like, we did, I mean, we, we, we were together all the time. I mean, we worked together, we, we ate together. It was, yeah, it was just such a tight bond, you know, and we'd been through, you know, good times and hard times and, you know, some rare emergencies out at sea and things like that. And we'd been through it. We'd been through the thick and thin together and it was just, it was a super tight crew that was just pure gold yeah now this one this wasn't an emergency but you were the one i, I believe that spotted the the japanese fishing vessel do you remember that yeah the, or the, the yeah i do remember that it was uh yeah so there, there had been the tsunami in japan the one that, that wiped out the, yeah the fukushima 
And Fukushima reactor was the most famous part of that. But I knew friends in Sendai, so you know, so oh, I, okay. lived in, I lived in that area. I mean, I lived. Oh right, yeah. I lived in, we, we lived in a basin, so you know, hundred hundred twenty kilometers, I think, removed from the the reactor. So they they weren't affected by the tsunami at all, obviously. But Sendai was, which is the next biggest city after Fukushima. Sendai got wiped out. So I had friends that were waiting in line for water, like they were refugees, basically. It was wow, pretty crazy. Um, but. But yeah, so so obviously it ripped away whole docks. It ripped. I mean, they found a huge chunk of dock in Newport Beach, just washed up from Japan. Like six months later, a year later, I forget how long. Yeah, and all that stuff is radioactive. Uh, not that one. I don't think it was from Sendai. Okay, gotcha. I, I hope not. I don't know. I don't know how bad that would have been. But they had a little these little fishing boats, and they're kind of I forget how long it was. Been like twenty feet long. I'm not sure. Yeah, it was about forty feet. Yeah, but you spotted the one, and so we actually radioed it in. We actually, as, yeah. a, as a hazard to navigation. And right. Heard the, you know, so it was our first time radioing the Coast Guard. So it was, ooh, you know, yeah. 20 days telling us how to do it. And, and, and then we waited, and, you know, and then they responded like, okay, knows the Mariners. There's this, you know, fishing boat. Well, I think we they... Very detailed descriptions, and we, we were we were. They asked us to approach it because they wanted yeah. to find out if it was, we, you know, our theory was that it was, you know, basically a drift from Japan. But the Coast Guard like requested that we go and inspect it to see if it was in fact. I mean, it might have been a capsized vessel sure. with people on it. No, they they're yeah, that's definitely the prudent thing to do. Which obviously. we did. So we went and inspected it and, and looked at it. It was definitely not recent. I mean, yeah, it, was, it had yeah. sea growth on it. Yeah, and it looked nothing like an American thing I've seen. Like it, it looked like a small coastal little Japanese yeah. sandpan kind of fishing vessel. Right. But um, yeah, so anyway, that was pretty neat. Got the radio that in. Yeah, do you remember uh, a short while after that, we got called in to assist on a vessel afloat someplace? Was that, wait a second, was that the Straits of Juan de Fuca? Was it? Yeah, there was, because oh, I remember, well, yeah, it was with Cappy Dave for sure. I remember That's that. right, yep, definitely Cappy really Dave. It was really foggy, it was in the yes. Straits of Juan de Fuca. Yeah. And the sun was setting. The sun was setting behind us, and we were headed west to east in the Straits of Juan de Fuca. We just passed, uh, uh, what's that bay called? Crap, Nima Bay? I, I, don't, I don't recall. Nevis, Nima. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking. I've only been past it 20 times. <laughs> <laughs> um, ah, it's the north side of the Olympic Peninsula. I, 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 I shouldn't remember it. Anyway, we, were, um, we had just passed that little bay, just at the entrance on the north side of the Olympic Peninsula, and we got the radio call that there was a fishing vessel that was in trouble. I think I think they even mentioned it was a native for some reason. I have no idea. Why. I can't remember, yeah. We might have supposed that because there were a lot of native, as a Native American fishing boats that nearby. Right. But that may or may not be true. I don't know. Definitely there was a fishing vessel. Definitely they had broken a belt on their engine. And so I was like, Cappy Dave, we gotta, we're the only vessel. Like, we got to help them out. Yeah, and the Coast Guard had called out for vessel assist. Okay, so so we're like, fine. Well, well, see what? Yeah, they called out for vessel assist, and I, I could kind of figure out the conversation. Like the fishing vessel, the vessel didn't want to ask for help, and the Coast Guard didn't want to provide. It was like this weird thing where, right? If either of them did something, then both would have a lot of paperwork. <laughs> like, like it's yeah, my, and there was my interpretation. Was, there was a lot of like. There was like also tech technicalities about like whether they handed us a line or whether we handed them a line as far as like salvage rights for the vessel goes. Well, I mean, we wouldn't play that card, obviously. We wouldn't, but, but I remember that it was an aspect that like depending upon who handed who the line, you could claim salvage rights for a vessel. Yeah, I, I know nothing about that. That may be, I don't know. But, Cappy Dave explained it, but yeah. But there's definitely some hesitancy you could hear on both parties' sides. So we're like, I mean, Cappy Dave, let's just go. Let's just help them out. So we turned around and 
and unfortunately, they put a belt on their engine, so they got it working again. Unfortunately. And so we're like, oh, crap, fine, we turn back around. And then and then they had trouble again, but then by that point, I think the Coast Guard finally said, oh, we'll just help these guys. But my, my dream was I wanted to see the look on their faces as this 18th century brig, <laughs> this tall yeah. ship, lit up by the sunset, comes out of the fog. Out of the fog, yeah. To rescue them. And, and like, with people on the bow and the whole, just like, like, what world they have entered, you know? Yeah, seriously, the whole crew was very excited about that. Yeah, and That would have been just amazing. I mean, good for them for getting out of there on their own, but uh, it was unfortunate that that didn't work out. Yeah, well, yeah, there have been other times where boats have rescued folks. Yeah, do you remember, I am, I can't remember whether you're here or not, but do you remember um, being moored in Sausalito during a storm? Sausalito? Yeah, so we were rafted. So I, I think I was on Chieftain at the time. Um, when but, you say a storm, you mean like like a lot of wind, or do you mean like an actual storm, like 54 knots of wind sustained? or do you mean, I don't remember. What the, I don't remember that. But here's what I remember was that it was it was like at least it was a foul weather, to say the least. Okay. It was, it was nasty. We were rafted on uh the navy pier there yeah yeah the army corps of engineers pier yeah. oh was it yeah and um like i think i went on deck to like take a leak or something like that uh and there was a boat adrift that was like, clearly headed for headed for us oh. um, and so i like i must have rang the bell or something or called like all hands or something and this boat had like broken its its anchorage like it's yeah, so we must have been on the north side of the dock for sure, because yeah, that, that would have been yeah. the likelihood of a boat because it would have had broke out of the dock to. No, there was an anchorage wherever we yes. were. There was an anchorage out yeah, there. Richardson Bay. It's the last free bit. What used to be the last free place where you could drop an ink, like drop a mooring, and no, like technically you're not allowed to do that, but nobody would care. Like, right. Like you had people that would literally be homeless, but they had a boat. Yeah. So <laughs> this like like in this you know in this bad weather like this little like probably 30 foot carbon fiber sailboat was and didn't have a mast um was like coming towards us adrift like clearly not under power probably unmanned just coming towards us yeah um i called out all hands or something and we all came on deck and then fended it off and like so it just smashed against one of the one of the bows but we put down fenders and brought it around and then um at the time chieftain had a small boat Pele was the name. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so we launched Pele, uh, and then we boarded the vessel because we were concerned that there may have been somebody living on board that may have been incapacitated. Yeah. So so a crew boarded the vessel um, and then inspected it, and then we tied it up and then basically reported it to the authorities. But that was that was a wild night. <laughs> wow, I forgot that one. That's amazing. Yeah, no, that, that happens. That does happen out there sometimes. And uh, it, actually, I got lots of wild stories about Richardson Bay from yeah, different I times. Bet. I mean, we could we could have a whole podcast solely on that. Like, <laughs> it's a crazy part of the world. But totally. That, that was Salsalito. Like, I love Salsalito because it is one of the wealthiest places in America. I mean, like certainly one of the <laughs> yeah, wealthiest seriously. In, in the Bay Area. Um, and and yet you have this incredible dichotomy because like literally juxtapose like you'll go out the bar and you'll have somebody talking about the common people and then somebody else who's basically homeless and like yeah. these two groups just are there and yeah simultaneously and simultaneously and it's it has to do with the bay and it has to do with the water and just the water is just this great equalizer i don't under i can't explain it like 
uh, every, I mean, everybody from a mega yacht person down to a little fisherman <clears throat> kind of understands it on some level. You know, they yeah. may not necessarily respect each other's jobs or whatever, but like on some level, everybody gets it. Like we are guests always. Right. <laughs> of yeah. Water. Of the and water. Like, yeah. Totally. That's the reality. Um, but yeah, I wasn't going to say, shoot, I had a great story I was going to tell. Maybe. I don't know. I can't remember if it was a good story. We're talking about Richardson Bay. So, oh, oh no, it wasn't a great story. It was knowledge. Um, so just so people know, when we're talking about storms and stuff, like with actual sailors and people that know, so, so when most people on land, when they say storm, they just mean like, oh, there was some rain and some wind. It's like, well, no, a storm is an actual designation. So you have like calm, which everybody knows. There's no breeze and the water actually looks like a mirror, which people might not know that, but out at sea, it looks like, imagine the whole sea looking like, you ever seen mercury? Right. You know what that looked like in science class? You play with it. That's what the water looks like. It looks like mercury. And I don't know how it just looks very glassy, but it's not, you know, it's ripply. It's like this mercury kind of look. Right. And then, and then you get a breeze and it, you know, it'll start, the higher the breeze, the more agitated water gets. And that's where you get the waves. And, and over time those build and, and you can, in theory, get 120 foot waves by, you know, on planet earth. That's, I think the theoretical, there's actual theoretical limit to huh. wind. Yeah. It's an actual thing. Wow. Like, okay. I had no cool. idea. Yeah, I read a book called The Wave once uh, by this lady that I thought it was going to be all about, like, road waves and stuff. And, yeah. Um, but she kind of had a crush on Laird Hamilton, I think. So, <laughs> so like, there's a lot of big wave surfing, which is also really interesting. Like, right, I super interesting, yeah. I read the book. But, uh, yeah, it was a good book, actually. I learned I learned a fair amount. But I learned a lot about big wave surfing. But I remember that was one of the things. There's, like, a theoretical limit to wave size on planet Earth. So don't quote me the exact height. But I want to say sure. it's over, over 120 feet. But yeah, so with the wind, you get like, you know, you got a light breeze and a moderate breeze and then, you know, and then, and then you get into, um, you know, as where it's like, you know, gales, there's light gale and moderate gale, heavy gale, you know, it's, or, or I, I forget, blank on the actual designations now, but like, I remember I was in a full force gale where it was like 45 knots sustained. That's a gale. And that's the most I've ever been in. Um, and in storm, I've, I mean, I've, I've been at dock in a storm. I've been mm-hmm. aloft in a storm at dock, but I've never been out sea in a storm. But that's 54 knots of wind. And then once you get beyond oh, okay. storm, huh. that's hurricane. Okay. So so there's actual, and, and then, and it's based off of what happens to the water, essentially. So you have, and that's, a, that's based off of the wind speed. So that's the whole, like, Beaufort scale thing? That's the Beaufort scale. Gotcha. Yeah. So force one through, tw- force zero through 12, basically. Gotcha. Or 1 through 12, I guess. Yeah, so Force 12 is hurricane. That's like, and water's complete. I love the descriptions of it because they're just like, the sea is white with foam. Like, that's all you see. And the wave size, like, one of the descriptions I heard, you know, read on the Beaufort scale, like, you still have the heights of the waves. So, like, a full force scale is like 18, 20 feet high, you know, which right. is what we were in. Um, we as in my crew at the time. And then uh, hurricane, like, I just heard it described as phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> that's the height it's just phenomenal it's like okay it's radical I, I don't have to see that yeah <laughs> like, the waves are radical I do not want to see that I've heard yeah the descriptions of it in this book The Wave I mean she described you know because she, she would go off historical accounts and it was like waterfalls like these waves would have waterfalls on them and you can actually hmm. see some of that online now you can yeah. look up YouTube and big waves out of sea and you can kind of see what they're talking about but then the real scary ones, which I don't think we have proper video of it. We have, we have video of, you know, technical definition of a road wave is like a wave that's 
think twice as high as the average set, whatever it should be. Sure. But the reality of it, I think, is very different because they would describe, they would just describe this wall of water like it's a wall, like not a wave. It's like a wall. And then another person, uh, there are other accounts where they said the sea had a hole in it. Like it looked like a hole coming towards them. Right. Which is just, I can't even imagine what that would look like. Right. It's like this giant That's hole insane. coming towards them. And so these waves don't behave like normal waves, which is part of the problem. You know, normal wave, you can crest and go up and it'll do not crest, but you can go up above it. And you know, if, but you get hit by a wall of water. Good luck. Like, <laughs> you're gonna flip <laughs> like, right that's how that works so yeah i don't know i would not want to see that for sure no definitely not <clears throat> you never when you were going to antarctica you flew in obviously you never went on the icebreakers or anything like that no it was yeah <clears throat> we we got to go on some vessels but when they were docked on our <clears throat> on our ice pier mm-hmm. um so we had an ice pier that we'd build and uh yeah none of my time there was spent on vessels but i will tell you that like Part of the reason I was chosen for the expedition, uh, and anti- in in our terms we call it a traverse, um, which is like basically going from one point one point to the other. In Antarctica, we call it a traverse, but it's an expedition. And part of the reason I was chosen for that was because of my experience on tall ships. And so our our expedition was we had a lot of great names for it, but we 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 it was a good way to understand it was we called it like our redneck space program. Um, cause if you think about it, like we're setting off from McMurdo station on this, you know, in this case it was, I think it was five vehicles, right? Five tractors and a scout vehicle eventually, which we, we flew in a personnel for. So these tractors, they're like the big track. They're the things that you imagine, like when you watch the movies about the Antarctic. Yeah, kind of. I mean, they are actually, they are, yeah, but they are like. closed, obviously. Yeah, they are like actually literally farm tractors. Wow. Um, They are like specially modified to handle like cold weather and to handle, have like wider tracks. But we used uh, Cat Challengers and Case Quad Tracks, which are like two of the most common farming tractors. But anyway, so like we, when we set out there. It was, it was really like in so many ways, it was not too different than going out to sea, both in like the motion of the vehicles and tying everything down. So like, you know, on a boat, when you go out to sea, you have to tie down everything and make sure that it's, you know, basically good to rock and roll on a seaway. Yeah, you sea stone. Right. Sea stone. Right. And that's the same thing. And the terminology was the same. Like the area that we would cook in was the galley. Right. And. A lot of the terminology was the same in the same way that like every the, the way that everything was built on a boat to be seaworthy was the same of our sleds going out into this area of Antarctica. Um, and so we had, you know, the shells were the same. And so we had a galley and we'd basically sea stow everything. Um, and it was, you know, it's kind of a cross between like going out to sea and going to space where we are, you know, there was... I mean, after like one or two days, we were so far out there that like nobody could get to us. Wow. Like if anything happened, like it was rough enough terrain that they, you know, a helicopter, if it, if like for a very short time we were in helicopter range and then we were out of helicopter range and they'd have been hard pressed to land fixed wing assets with us. And so it was like, you know, for, we were, we were out there for, I mean, we were just driving to the camp for nearly a month. Wow. Um, and it was, you know, we were collecting our own water, we were cooking our own food, 
and it was this small, it was, uh, I think it was five and then eventually six of us when we picked up somebody that flew into one of the camps that did have uh, a skiway. Um, but it was this tiny crew out in the middle of nowhere and like we had to be completely self-sufficient, you know, and like if anything broke down, we had to handle it with the material that we had on hand, um, which is not too dissimilar to being on a boat in a seaway. I mean, when you're way out on the ocean, sure, somebody can come out to you eventually, but who knows when um, and who knows how long it'll take. And that was, you know, for in our case, it was very similar where, you know, we, we got far enough out that they really couldn't get to us. Um, and we were our own little self-contained crew of people um, fulfilling all of the needs of both of both our equipment and ourselves. And uh, so a major reason that I was chosen for that expedition was because of my sailing experience. Uh, and remarkably, Antarctica has like an overrepresented population of sailors. Like <laughs> sailors in Antarctica totally go hand in hand. It must be, yeah, that's the thing, right? Sailors and cowboys and yeah. know, Antarctica. <laughs> cowboys, God, that's that funny. Yeah, I, I, gotta, no, yeah. I mean, because, yeah, you got to have a sense of adventure, but there's romance, and then there's just the practical. And like you said, sea snowing <clears> inside is <throat> secure or not. Yeah. You know, and bad stuff happens out at sea when things go rolling or crashing. So Right, no, and it's exactly yeah. the same. I mean, we, you know, when we were out there far enough, we may as well have been in the middle of the ocean. That's yeah. incredible. And it was not too dissimilar to my experience on tall ships. Well, there you go. All right. Well, it's been it's awesome talking to you again. Thanks yeah, for Johan. taking the time to share stories. This has been great. Yeah, hopefully we'll get to sail together, together again someday. I hope so. All right, folks. Well, we're going to wrap up this episode of Nautical Knowledge and Nonsense. Uh, yeah, we did kind of mention my kid's book. So if you want to check it out, go to greatestcaptain.com. The book's called The Greatest Captain in the World. It is not about me. I promise. It's a little kid's book. Anyway, uh, people seem to like it. <laughs> I hope they do. That's uh, greatestcap.com uh, for that one. And yeah, hope you enjoyed this episode and uh, hopefully we'll get to have you listen to us later in the future. Bye. Bye. Fairwinds. Fairwinds and following seas. Fairwinds. Yeah, fairwinds and following seas. All right, fair enough. Cheers, folks. Take care.